This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. It is always great to be with you and a part of The Leslie Marshall Show family. And, you know, I, I would like to say that this is a new week, but I told someone earlier it feels like Groundhog Day. We're talking about bad judges, health care, and the latest scandal from the Trump administration. So what's new, people? Uh, we'll have to try to figure that out. Well, I, as you guys know, my day job, because you got to keep the bills paid, um, I serve as vice president of legal progress here at the Center for American Progress. And I spend a lot of time talking about the judiciary and things are always better with friends and so today joining me in the conversation to talk about judges that I don't think anybody other than our circle <laughs> knows about but we're trying to change that um, in studio with me Mike Zabrinsky he's the chief counsel and legal director at the leadership conference on civil rights welcome Mike Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Another friend of the show, Billy Courier. Billy serves as the Deputy Director of Legal Progress at the Center for American Progress. You can find him on Twitter at Billy, B-I-L-L-Y, Courier, C-O-R-R-I-H-E-R. And last but definitely not least, coming from New York City, Eric Lee. She's the Director of the Fair Courts Project at Lambda Legal. You can find him tweeting about all things Broadway and the law at E-D Leash, L-E. S-H. Hey, Eric. Hello, Michelle. <laughs> so, you know, um, I want to talk about this week, and, and I'll start with you, Mike, because you spent a lot of your time both on the Hill and at the Department of Justice working at Judicial Noms, and we had the occasion to work together on some of these noms on the Hill. But today, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted out two pretty despicable, I saw despicable me, the new one this weekend, and I thought about these guys, um, two uh, uh, nominees this week. Tell our listeners a little bit about these guys. Uh, sure. Um, thanks, Michelle. Um, the, the nominees that were voted out of the Judiciary Committee this morning along party lines, all the Democrats voted against them and all the Republicans, uh, I think, grudgingly voted for them. Um, uh, I say that because they're so extreme and so conservative that, um, that other than Senator Grassley, there was really no Republican senator who said much. I mean, Senator Cornyn spoke for about 30 seconds. But um, there's a real sense that these two nominees are just very, very extreme uh, across the board. I mean, to give you a couple of examples, um, one of them, uh, John Bush, is a nominee to the Sixth Circuit. Um, this is a lifetime position, and the Sixth Circuit is, is an important court that covers uh, Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, um, Michigan. I think that's that's it. Uh, so it's, it's an important court, and John Bush is uh, uh, someone that, that Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of the Senate, recommended. And, um, and because there's a Republican majority in the Senate, uh, John Bush is very likely to be confirmed, even though he has an extreme record. Um, one of the things that he said uh, that many Democrats have pointed to as, as a very troubling statement, um, and, and to take a step back for a second, he said this as an anonymous blogger. <laughs> both, both of these nominees, uh, uh, Damian Schiff and who I'll talk about, and John Bush, they both engaged in uh, in uh, multiple blog posts over the years under anonymous names. Have uh, you ever heard, Billy? I know you spend a lot of time following and tracking these. Have you heard of anonymous <laughs> bloggers being nominated as federal judges before? No, I think that might be a first. 
<laughs> uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and these blogs were, you know, not just your run-of-the-mill kind of boring uh, news-type blogs. These were really um, some right-wing opinion-type blogs. Uh, John Bush was discussing uh, topics like the whole birther theory that President Obama wasn't born in the United States. Um, he, uh, you know, compared uh, abortion to slavery, comparing Roe versus Wade to Dred Scott. Some really inflammatory things, um, you know, and he, he, most alarmingly, maybe for a judge, he cited uh, some really disreputable news sources, uh, some websites that traffic in white nationalism um, and crazy conspiracy theories. So um, that's that's the kind of judgment he exercised when he was blogging anonymously. So um, I guess uh, we'll see what kind of judgment he exercises as a judge. And so, Mike, and you were saying about Schiff, uh, Damien Schiff, the other nominee. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Damien Schiff is um, a nominee to a, a, a D.C.-based court mm-hmm. called the Court of Federal Claims. Um, and uh, and it's, an, it's an important court. It hears lots of uh, government uh, cases, challenges to government, to the uh, to the government contract cases, but also um, affirmative action cases, a lot of takings cases, and the property uh, involving property under the Fifth Amendment. So there's a lot of important cases, and they have. And so President Trump nominated someone for this position who has devoted his career to bringing cases uh, against environment, challenging various environmental laws, their constitutionality, and defending property owners, and uh, and also on the side uh, has engaged in this anonymous blogging and has said you know many of the similar things that Billy mentioned um, you know comparing uh, uh, abortion to, to slavery um, and and uh, writing some very uh, hateful things about LGBT individuals um, he wrote a blog that was titled teaching gayness in public schools uh, where he he criticized an anti-LGBT bullying curriculum that was uh, established in a California school district. Mm. So, Eric, I want to bring you into this conversation because Lambda was really one of the leaders um, pushing back in Gorsuch and really uh, who was President Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court, um, later confirmed now Justice Gorsuch. Um, and, and I noticed that you said, listen, we warned you about Gorsuch and we've seen he's been um, in some ways 90 percent of the time, one of the analysis that I saw voting with the most conservative members on the Supreme Court. And I think your your post said, listen, we, we warned you about Gorsuch and we're putting out the same warning about these two nominees. We need to stop them. Tell us why you're so engaged on these two nominees specifically. Yeah, so that's absolutely right, Michelle. I mean, we knew from the beginning at Lambda Legal that Gorsuch, there was a lot of talk about Gorsuch had gay friends, maybe he's not so bad, he sure seems nice. His record demonstrated that he was going to favor religious objectors over those who want to a license to discriminate, that he favored originalism, which is a judicial philosophy that essentially writes LGBT people out of the Constitution. During his hearings, he was evasive. He wouldn't answer senators' questions. He kept saying things like, well, I'll respect the marriage equality decision because it's precedent, and I respect all precedent of the Supreme Court. And that's become this trope that, you know, a lot of the judicial nominees are hiding behind this. Uh, You know, I'll respect the precedent. I'll adhere to the rule of law. My personal views don't matter. Um, and then the minute we see Gorsuch get on the court, exactly what we thought he would do. Within, 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 within a mere 90 days, he was 
He, on the last day of the term, he wrote an opinion basically saying, I'm not really sure we to, you know, follow Obergefell to the, to the full letter. Marriage is not exactly marriage. Maybe they didn't mean equal means equal. Um, and then another troubling church-state uh, separation case. So, you know, as we're looking at Bush and Schiff, these folks are Gorsuch clones. Mm-hmm. They are cut from the same cloth. They're supported by the same groups. They've been anonymous blogging. Some of the horribly homophobic rhetoric that's coming out that's coming out of their writings, of their public speaking, um, is just totally alarming. But it's in keeping with what Trump is doing to the federal courts, and we have to engage not just on Gorsuch, but every single judicial appointment he makes. So we were were about to go to a break, but Billy, I just wanted to bring you in here on this last point before break on the Leslie Marshall show this afternoon. What is this attack by putting such conservative, I think what many people would say is just extreme, like not even in normal orthodoxy of ideology. What, what do you think is the end game here with these as the nominees from this administration? Well, I, mean, I think the end game, I think Eric's absolutely right that the end game is to roll back civil rights, uh, not just for LGBT folks, uh, but for women. Uh, a lot of these nominees, including Bush and Schiff, have expressed, uh, you know, real criticisms of Roe versus Wade, suggesting it should be overturned. Um, and I think that's the end game. Uh, they they want to they wanna live uh, in a world where the Constitution doesn't protect, um, you know, LGBT people. Um, where we don't have robust protections against discrimination um, and where, you know, judges are just going to kind of go along with Trump's discriminatory agenda. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to pick up with my friends Mike, Eric and Billy here in studio talking all things that third branch of government, the judiciary. We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. And welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Back in studio with my friends, Eric Leash, uh, Lesh, uh, director of the Fair Courts Project at Lambda Legal, Billy Courier, Deputy Director of Legal Progress at CAP, and Mike Zabrinsky, Chief Counsel and Legal Director at the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights. So, you know, obviously you always have the good conversation on the breaks when you do radio, which is never fair for you, our listeners. So I'm going to try to bring you in on this. Um, but what do you really think um, if these two, who I think most people think are noxious, you know, one of these nominees called Justice Kennedy, um, a judicial prostitute, um, the standards are now so low. This administration has just changed. They no longer have the ABA um, reviewing their nominees before they're put forth to the committee. And Eric, I just want to start with you. What do you think this means for the next, you know, three years with the types of nominees that we'll see? About the way that we're shifting um, the level of what's acceptable. So. During this confirmation hearing, Bush and Schiff were so bad that, you know, it was a party line vote, but then, uh, the other judge. I think we might have lost Eric there for a second, but Billy, you know, you maybe you can pick up on some of that thought from Eric. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's really shocking. I, 
it seems like these days you can say anything you want online and you could, it doesn't disqualify you for anything. Mm-hmm. You can be president. You can be a federal <laughs> judge for life. It doesn't matter. Um, it's really alarming, though. I mean, we've, uh, you know, Americans have lost so much trust in their government institutions, but for so long the judiciary was one of those things that people still had a lot of faith in. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't see the courts as, uh, you know, as politicized or as, as biased or, or corrupt as the other branches. Um, but I'm worried about uh, what happens if uh, President Trump keeps nominating, um, you know, folks with this kind of sordid uh, record to, to federal judgeships. And it's and it's not just the nomination of these people. It's also the way President Trump has been talking about sitting judges, the threats mm. he has made, the insults mm-hmm. he has hurled at judges who, you know, ha- who deign to defy him and rule against him. Uh, the, the travel ban, you know, is mm-hmm. the most recent example. He criticized the district judges, the appellate courts that ruled against him. Last year, there was a judge in California, mm-hmm. uh, Judge Curiel, who ruled against him in the Trump University case. And he just goes after these people personally. He really is, I think, degrading the respect for the federal judiciary. So, you know, and, and Eric, we'll see if we can get you back here, my friend, because I think we are in this moment, you know, I don't think it was an accident. They had these confirmation or moving them through the committee. So for those who aren't familiar, so the first step is you have a hearing and then you have a committee vote on judicial nominees. And then the next step, it goes before the full Senate. So that hasn't happened yet, but they had this vote for these nominees through the committee on the same day healthcare, the new bill came out. Um, the same day, you know, we're still in the midst of the Don Jr. emails, and it seems like a massive distraction for lifetime judges who will have a far more um, impactful view on everyday Americans beyond the four years of this administration. And Eric, what do you, you know, if we can get you back, Eric, did we, did you get to, did you get that? Oh, okay. But that's all right. So, Billy, you take that. Well, uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just think the fact that we have oh, yeah, the, distractions. Um, the distractions that no one then pays attention to these judges who are going to be here for much longer that's than true. these four years. Yeah, I mean, that's the real challenge, I think, in the Trump era is just trying to stay on top of all the crazy things that are that are coming from this administration. Um, but you're absolutely right, Michelle, that, you know, these nominees are so important because they're going to serve a lot longer than President Trump is in office. Um, you know, if John Bush is confirmed, he's going to be one court below the Supreme Court uh, for the foreseeable future as long as he wants to stay on the court. Um, and that's really alarming. And these are fairly young guys. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, can you just give us a little insight? Because, Mike, you did this for the Obama administration. I mean, just the critical process that you were doing there. And these guys just kind of. We're just going to drag them off the Internet and make them federal judges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, President Obama nominated very different types of people than President Trump has nominated so far. Um, you know, I think President Obama was interested in appointing um, folks who were who were smart, who had good judgment, who um, were going to be fair uh, and were very well regarded in the legal community. And diversity was, was an important consideration as well. Um, but he didn't have an, any kind of ideological litmus test. You know, we weren't asking people, uh, you know, what organizations they belong to. Um, I mean, I think every single one of President Trump's circuit court nominees has been a member of the Federalist Society. This is a right-wing organization of lawyers in America. I believe they're, they're less than 1% of, of American lawyers belong to this Federalist Society, and 100% 
of his circuit court nominees belong to the Federal Society. Mm-hmm. And and so it's just very troubling, this, this uh, litmus test he seems to have. So where do we go from here? You know, I think I hear a lot about the left should do the same thing. You know, people point to the American Constitution Society and saying, you know, that's the left's version of the Federal Society. But I don't think that's true. And I, and I often think that progressives see the courts not as a means to an end, but really how you shape outcomes in specific circumstances. Whereas I think conservatives say, this is my opportunity to change this area of law. But where do you think is the the next step for progressives as they think about these issues? Well, I think that's right, Michelle, at least like historically, that's that's been the big difference between progressives and uh, conservatives when it comes to the courts. But I'm really hoping that folks are going to see how important the courts are going to be in the Trump era. Uh, we saw that when it came to the, the Muslim ban litigation, the litigation over Trump's sanctuary city's executive order. I think the courts are really the only thing standing in the way of this administration trampling over the rights of so many marginalized communities. Um, and I hope that uh, that is going to get um, civil rights advocates, voting rights advocates, uh, all kinds of progressives really engaged in this fight because it's so important. And I would just um, add to that that this fight uh, that, Michelle, you mentioned early on, uh, it's ongoing with John Bush and Damian Schiff. And I would encourage listeners mm-hmm. who uh, throughout the country to contact their home state senators yes. uh, and, and urge them to vote against these two and to be vigilant about other troubling nominees that are going to be coming down the road. I think that's such the right way that we need to be thinking about it. Like, there is a role for us to play. We need to tell these senators it's unacceptable that people who can say these things, who can talk about President Obama and uh, put forth birtherism um, conspiracies and and call the Chief Justice such vulgar names, they shouldn't be on the bench. Uh, Billy Corrier, Eric Lesh, and Mike Zabrinsky, I so appreciate you. This is Michelle Jawanda on The Leslie Marshall Show. When we come back, we're talking about some more suppression, voter suppression. What's going on with that? We'll be right back after the break. Leslie Marshall, The Simple Truth in a Complicated World. And welcome back, welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you, and I hope you join the conversation. Give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L, Jawando. So many thanks to my guest last uh, segment, but I am super excited. One, because voting, many of you know, I've spent much of my career working in, around, and on this issue. Um, It's something that I care a lot about. Um, And I know for many people, you've started to hear something about this like voter commission thing that Trump is because he lost the popular vote by three million votes. So somehow because he lost the popular vote by three million votes, there has to be three million illegal people voting. Um, What an interesting coincidence. Um, And so earlier this month, he launched the Presidential Advisory Commission on election integrity, looking into alleged voter fraud in the 2016 election. Chris Kobach, who is the vice chair of this, um, I like to call it the Voter Suppression Commission, sent a request to states asking for personal information on every registered voter 
in the state, but this information was more than normal. It was things like your voter history, even partial social security numbers, and it was all going to be stored on a computer in Mike Pence's office. Um, so much to discuss, and in studio, uh, glad to have another friend of the show welcoming back Todd Cox. You know him as the Director of Policy at the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. You can find him on Twitter at Todd, T-O-D-D-A Cox. Todd, welcome back. Thank you very much, Michelle. Happy to be here. So, you know, I just, this commission is a hot mess, but, um, you know, what, what, what was your initial reaction when you first heard about it? Well, you know, our initial reaction went back to when they first threatened to do something, right? Mm-hmm. So back in February, uh, in, in following up on these lies that uh, somehow millions and millions of, and it's being characterized, and I think it's important to look at it this way, being characterized as millions of illegals, millions of folks from certain neighborhoods, uh, you know, certain code words, um, participated fraudulently in this election, resulting in uh, our current president not winning the popular vote. All of that, um, uh, all those stories that were being told on during the election, as well as after after the election, um, fomented some uh, threats that there was going to be an investigation. We called it out in February. My boss wrote an op-ed saying, you know, this is going to be a prelude to voter suppression. And voila, we have uh, the, 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 the Mike Pence, uh, Chris Kobach uh, voter suppression uh, uh, commission. Uh, two people, by the way, who are well experienced in voter suppression. Uh, Mike Pence, uh, as, as a former official in Indiana, uh, they have a very uh, 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 suppressive uh, voter, voter uh, vo- uh, voting um, uh, system. Mm-hmm. And we have Mike Kobach, uh, uh, sorry, Secretary Chris, Chris yep. Kobach, who has gone out of his way to suppress votes and, and actually taking that to the national uh, the national level. So we see this as basically a way of, of finding pr- uh, so-called proof for the uh, false allegations that have been made and really f- uh, creating an excuse to, number one, pass uh, much more stringent voter registration laws. But uh, in probably even a worst case scenario, perhaps support uh, prosecution of people participating in the political process along the lines of uh, the kinds of prosecutions the Legal Defense Fund has been defending against for for years. You know, so one of my concerns with this commission um, is you have started to hear reports about people taking themselves off the rolls. Um, And you know, you and I, and I'm about to bring in our friend Wendy Weiser, who's the director of the Democracy Program at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law. And Wendy, I'm going to throw this to you first. Um, you know, my concern when you start hearing people are taking themselves off the rolls, it's a reaction to a fear because they don't know what this commission is going to do with their information. Yeah, absolutely. This is an incredibly concerning new development. Um, We've been hearing now from election officials across the country that they are hearing from voters in their jurisdiction asking to be taken off the rolls. And this is not something that's happened before. Um, uh, The Seminole County, Florida supervisor of elections, um, um, a Republican named Mike Gertel, had said he's never seen anything like this in his 12 years in office. He's never had to talk so many people out of um, trying to disenfranchise themselves. Um, In Denver, we we just got some figures that they've seen uh, more than a 2,000 percent increase in um, withdrawals from the voter registration system. I mean, and we have a problem in our country of two 
few people That's being right. registered to vote, not too many. And this is really, I mean, th- this commission is already having the effect of suppressing votes and taking people out of the system. I mean, this is this is a real concern. And, and I would say one thing, I would urge your listeners, stay registered. Do not help the commission's efforts to um, suppress votes by taking yourselves out of the system. You know, uh, Todd, we have been, you know, and it's so funny because the voting rights community is pretty small. <laughs> and so um, I think what happened the, with this commission um, in some ways is getting the voting rights community obviously engaged, but you're starting to hear voices that don't normally engage in issues around voting um, say something. I, I'm thinking, you know, most notably this week, uh, Michael Churchoff, who was the um, Secretary of Homeland Security under the Bush administration, actually had a scathing op-ed saying the concerns he had with this commission. Do you think that this is a moment that will open up a broader conversation for people about engagement, about voter suppression, about voting security and, and, and systems that we need to put in place. I think that's a very good point, Michelle. And I think the reason that it, uh, that it will provide that opportunity is because we've never seen anything quite like this. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a voting, I've been a voting rights lawyer uh, on and off um, since 1992. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen uh, an administration in a totalitarian uh, sense or a totalitarian manner demand, and they're saying they're backstepping that now, but uh, you know, really demand and mm-hmm. uh, private information. So you have both uh, issues around privacy, mm-hmm. you have the overall context within which this is happening, um, uh, and that people seem to be ignoring, at least who are asking this information, that allegations that have been confirmed, mm-hmm. that a foreign government has tampered with our election system. Mm-hmm. So, that's, so that context that I think is universally felt, uh, this is all happening within that context. Mm-hmm. So I think that is, that is providing opportunities to have intersections we haven't seen before. But there's another context here as well. Um, we have an administration that has uh, given voice to uh, not only voter suppression, but uh, xenophobia, misogyny, as well as white supremacy. And so that was already fomenting. Now you see them stepping out to take action against uh, American citizens. Um, And I think that when you have examples like that, you're going to energize a lot of folks to step up, even if their initial concern isn't around voting rights. There's something that there's something going on here that we need to be be paying attention to. And I I think I'd like to to echo what Wendy said. You know, if this is if we're going into battle here Mm -hmm. for frankly our rights that's right. let's not let's not fall down on the job and allow them to do this to us that's right let us continue the fight let's 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 lift up our voices and fight back no, fight back uh, fighting back number one by not removing ourselves from the voter rolls and removing mm-hmm. our voice from the process but then also making sure that our members of Congress are held accountable for holding them accountable let's have some oversight here that's let's right. explore the role of the Department of Justice in all of this that's and we can right. talk about more about that later but there's definitely some coordination going on uh, so I, I think there's a there's a lot to be done and we need mm-hmm. to make sure that every Everyone is engaged. Um, so Dean from Buffalo. Dean from Buffalo is calling in. Dean, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. You're on with Michelle, Todd, and Wendy. Okay. Um, great job as always, you, uh, you three. Um, <laughs> you know, I said that your call screener, but this is hypocritical. I mean, this is a guy who was saying, I do an awful Donald Trump, so I'm not going to do it here. Um <laughs> Everybody does an awful Donald Trump. Um, I said to the call screener, this is hypocritical. I mean, this is the same guy who was griping about um, um, 3 million illegals voting, and which is why 
Hillary won the popular vote, and now he wants to um, now he wants to take the secret out of secret ballots. Um, this is the type of thing you see in third world. Uh, dictatorships mm, mm. um dean yeah. thank you so much for for calling and wendy since you're in new york with uh dean there in buffalo mm-hmm. why don't you take that one <laughs> sure um I, I, I absolutely um share your outrage you know that that um a a sitting president would make such um outlandish charges about um that that are wholly unsupported and have been rejected by all members of his party by all election officials that there's that there were three to five million illegal people voting in our election but also that you know the actions that this commission are taking are actually increasing the security risk of our election system and as michelle pointed out um as um our, our former homeland security secretary mike Michael Chertoff said, um, the gathering all that voter information in one place is, is a gift to Russia. It is something that makes it much easier for those who want to undermine our democracy from without by hacking in or by manipulating our voter information to do so. So this is at a time when really our, our, our most urgent threat is to actually shore up the security of our election infrastructure and there's widespread agreement that we there's a lot we need to do and there are real concrete things that we can do right now to do that we are distracting attention away from that and actually decreasing the security of our elections with um, the first actions of this commission so yes this is an outrage we are we are focused on the wrong thing and we are ignoring the big giant problem that's a real risk to our democracy so what I love about um, the the initial pushback from this commission is whenever you get both states like Massachusetts and Mississippi to say, you know, go away, <laughs> or in the case of the Mississippi uh, elected official who said uh, Trump and this commission can go jump in the Gulf of Mexico, I absolutely love that. <laughs> but um, I think because you are seeing kind of this bipartisan pushback, we should have a, a, a conversation about what should we be doing to open up the franchise? You know, if Todd, you know, I'm going to give you the magic wand first here. But, you know, if we had an opportunity to really make voting an inclusive, um, efficient, secure um, process from beginning to end, what do you do first? Well, I think same-day registration mm-hmm. is, I mean, there's there are a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, proposals on the table, um, some of which we pr- support here at the federal level, but there's same-day registration, for mm-hmm. example. There is uh, automatic registration so that once you reach a certain voting age, mm-hmm. you know, you walk across, get your diploma for high school, you get your voting card. That's right. Um, you know, there are um, uh, opportunities to change the dates that we vote. In Europe, they tend to choose dates that are actually convenient for people. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> not, that's yeah, a novel oh, idea. You know, not, not dates that <laughs> <laughs> that are that are that are more tied to a, a, a date a times uh, past. Mm-hmm. So I think you know we need to first um, uh, explore. Uh, all of those uh, systems that we can tweak, which are well known, as Wendy mm-hmm. pointed out, in, in terms of uh, ex- expanding opportunity for voting. Then we need to look at all of the uh, so-called security systems, systems we put in place to restrict voting. So photo IDs, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. uh, other kinds of restrictions, closing polling places with no, with no, without due cause, and really scrutinize those things and hold uh, those officials account- accountable. I think a lot of this is happening in the context post Shelby versus Holder, which is a case that mm-hmm. uh, really 
really st- struck a blow to the Voting Rights Act by removing it as a tool mm-hmm. to protect our voting rights. And happy to talk more about that later. Um, with that case, with that case's decision in play, it really allowed photo ID restrictions and other kinds of restrictions to proliferate. Mm-hmm. So we need to both at the same time expand opportunity, but make sure that we're sort of trimming back the weeds that are, right. that are that are that are propping up to restrict voting rights. Wendy, what do you do first to fix the system? Well, I, I think that um, uh, there are like two, like three real urgent needs right now. The very first is to secure our election infrastructure. And the very first thing that Congress needs to do is set aside some funds for states to be able to increase the security and upgrade their voting machines and their voter registration systems. It is well known exactly what security measures are needed. Um, we did a study founding that in 42 states, um, they're using voting machines that are 10 or more years old, well past the expiration of date of most machines. This is a, a, a real dramatic security risk. Um, So that's the very first thing we need to do. Um, In terms of actually improving our voter registration system and expanding access, um, states are now leading the way with automatic voter registration and other efforts to modernize voter registration that are not only making the system work better, but having real impact in terms of getting more people registered and keeping the rules far more accurate um, and up to date. And we already have now um, eight states plus D.C. have adopted it in the last two years alone. Um, just um, Rhode Island is about to sign it into law, um, as is um, uh, Illinois. And so we're really seeing um, huge, a huge momentum in that direction at the state level. We do not want to see um, uh, us turning back the clock at the federal level. Right. And then, of course, um, as Todd was alluding to, we do need to restore the Voting Rights Act. And I want to point to some of the voting restrictions in the state, because while we've seen some good progress in the states in terms of modernizing our voter registration systems. We have been in an era of um, efforts to restrict voting access and push through um, laws that make it harder for eligible Americans to vote. Um, And the, the main champions pushing those laws and efforts across the country are now all gathered together on this commission. And their goal (laughs) is to nationalize those bad things that that courts have been striking down left and right, finding them to be discriminatory and purposefully so, that um, that, voting rights advocates have certainly been pushing against. Um, This this is one of the goals here is to try to nationalize those bad developments when we should really be moving forward. So Todd um, and Wendy, we're we're about to come to the end of our time speaking. We know this president, if he does nothing else, he watches cable news and he reads Twitter. So what do you say to him on Twitter today? What would be your message? Todd, we'll start with you. Oh, Wendy, we'll start with you. And Todd, you close us out. Uh, I'll say, you know, uh, uh, abandon this commission. This is going nowhere. It is going to be a continual source of embarrassment, and it's a real danger to the American people. Todd? I would say we should be freeing the vote, not stopping the vote, and making sure and, and, and restoring voting rights, not restricting voting rights. All right. You heard it here. Uh, Hopefully he'll read his tweets today. Uh, Todd Cox, thank you. Director of Policy at NAACP, LDF, and Wendy Weiser, Director of Democracy Program at Brennan. Good friends. Thank you so much for the work that you do every day. This is Michelle Juwando. We'll be right back after the break talking health care. And Betsy DeVos, what did she say now? We'll be right back after the break. Leslie 
Marshall. When the truth matters, give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Keep Leslie in your pocket. Go to lesliemarshallshow.com forward slash members. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm here with our friend Victoria Jones from Talk Media News. Victoria, so the Senate health bill out today. What's the latest and greatest? Well, yes, it's uh, yet another bill. And then Senator Lindsey Graham has uh, like an alternate bill. Um, but I don't know how far that's going to go. Well, the Senate bill uh, is uh, incorporating Senator Ted Cruz and Mike Lee's controversial proposal that would enable people to just buy very skimpy plans and would also have these what essentially a high-risk pool uh, and that some people are saying could uh, result in split-risk pools, one with sick people with pre-existing conditions, the other with healthy young people. Susan Collins and Rand Paul have already said their no even on advancing to debate the bill. One more senator says no, and the things are gonna. Well, you know what? I think we need to work a little harder to make sure that it is dead, 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 dead. Um, But then we've heard about Betsy DeVos and, you know, the controversial Secretary of Education um, about a campus rape investigation. What's the latest there? Well, what's going on there is her acting civil rights chief, Candace Jackson, apologized directly to campus sexual assault survivors today for a comment she made to the New York Times yesterday that appeared to discredit the claims of sexual assault survivors. And Jackson and DeVos are having three meetings on campus sexual violence as they decide whether to change Obama-era guidance on how colleges and universities should handle the issue. What Jackson said to the Times was, the accusations, 90% of them, fall into the category of, we were both drunk, we broke up, and six months later, I found myself under a Title IX investigation because she just decided that our last sleeping together was not quite right. Wow. Um, and this is the person who has been decided to head the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education. We have a lot Correct. to be concerned about. Yes. And she is herself a sexual assault survivor. Mm. So you would think that you would have a little more empathy. Well, Victoria, it is always great to have you. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. I will keep the news coming as much as I can and help you make sense of everything that's going on. As always, great to be with you. We'll be back again soon. <laughs> 